Welcome to Bwahaha Cast. We've been away for a while, but we've been doing we've been doing fun stuff. So I'm here. I, I'm Chris Kirby. Uh, my co-host this week and every week is David, the Lockjaw of Reynolds County, Simonton. <laughs> I got nothing after that. I have no idea what nothing. that means. I, I mean, the lock jaw of Reynolds County. That that may be the one of the greatest uh, names I've ever been called. I'm glad to know it. Yes. <laughs> How are you, How David? You I'm All right. great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to? Oh, uh, well, there was a Dragon Con a few weeks ago. Uh, for awesome. My 20-something year in a row, with the exception of last year when Dragon Con didn't happen because of the pandemic. Wow. Um, a lot of fun. Uh it went down from like 80,000 people to about maybe 50,000 or something. Still a lot. Um, yeah. When, when it gets to be that high in the thousands, it's like you really, it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. um, some of the lines were, matter of fact, Chris, uh, to get my name badge when we first got there, um, it, it, Dragon Con takes place over five hotels in downtown Atlanta. So in the Sheridan is where you, where you go to get your name badge. Uh, there's one of those, you know, things where, it's roped off and you're in this long snake snake like line inside forever. Um, then it went outside, wrapped around the entire hotel, went up two blocks and then down about two blocks. So I was in line about an hour and 45 minutes, which is quick for that length of a line. That's right. Um, but uh, yeah, well, I, I, I'm not going to go too much in detail about uh, Dragon Con other than uh, an interesting thing that happened was we were Maria and I were in the uh, uh artist alley um and there's this guy there i think i've seen him there before that's the writer of this uh graphic novel um that uh you know he was he was talking to me and trying to sell it and i was like you know what i'm just i'm just gonna buy it um well it was co-written by david anthony Kraft, who passed away uh three or four months ago mm. um yeah i think he also edited it uh, but while i was talking to the uh writer he pointed to the lady standing next to me and said, Oh, that's his, his wife. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. And so she, she said, hello. And I started talking to her and I said, you know, David Anthony Kraft, he wrote, you know, all but the first issue of the original Savage She-Hulk comic book and wrote some oh, offenders. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've read a lot of his stuff and really enjoyed a lot of his stuff back in the late seventies, early eighties. And um, she was, she seemed you know, it touched her because she said she doesn't get a lot of people who remember who he was because it's been so long since he's written, I guess. And, yeah. Uh, Honestly, I, I that's the name sounds familiar, but I I wouldn't recognize it. He didn't write tons and tons and tons of stuff, um, but he did. He did write. And she so she started telling me how. You know, she, they would go out, they would have Jim Salakrup from yep. know, those Marvel days um, over for dinner and they'd hang out with him all the time and hang out with these other people. She never knew that they were all involved with Marvel comics. That was just her <laughs> friend, her, her and her husband, her, her and her husband's friend. That's pretty cool. Um, she said she was with uh, Mr. Kraft for six years before he even told her what he actually had written and you know, that he, he wrote for Marvel comics. And, and so she was like, wait a minute, I've been hanging out with 
Jim Salakrup for all this time and never even knew who he was. And I've been married, I've been with you for six years and didn't even know that you had written this big stuff. I just knew you were a writer. I didn't know what, you know. Right. So she, she said, you know, they got in a big argument over it because she was like, <laughs> what the? <clears throat> but anyway, she was like one of the coolest people I've met in a long, long time. And we actually talked to her three different times and she would always make a point to, you know, hug us and have our picture taken with her. And and she said she's going to be co-writing uh, you know, the series soon. And so anyway, that was sort of the highlight of Dragon Con for me. It was, it was just cool to, you know, hear stories about Mr. Craft that, you know, you just, just don't hear. So. Oh, that's really neat. I, um, yeah. were there any other, uh, particularly interesting comic book people there that you saw? John Romita Jr. was there. I awesome. didn't, um, and that's the first time I've seen him there. Maybe the first time he's ever been to Dragon Con, I guess. But, uh, um, I didn't, I didn't meet him. I, I probably should have, um, but I didn't. Um, but it was nice to see him there. And did you, know, you ask David's always there? I'm sorry. Well, I thought you might've walked up to him and asked him why all of his characters are drawn like they're squinch dumpled. <laughs> I don't want to get beaten up by Mr. John Romita Jr. And by the way, I should say I'm a huge John Romita Jr. fan. Yes. But, but, you know, sometimes his characters do look a little, uh, squinch dumpled, which is, I think, you know, that's just part of his style. <laughs> yeah. They all sort of look wrinkly, but I love his art. I do too. I, I love do his too. art. He's, he's one of the greats. Um, Peter nobody David else like him. No, no, no. Um, Peter David. Yeah. Peter David. He's, he's there every year. Um, I've, I didn't talk to him this year. I've talked to him before and bought some stuff, but, uh, yeah, you know, Dragon Con's a lot of fun. It's, one thing I did notice that I thought was really cool um, was, you know, this is in Atlanta, but I, I noticed a lot more uh, African-Americans there than normal. Mm. And I was like, well, that's, that's awesome. You know, yes, it is um, that they're, they're coming in and, and a lot of them were in cosplay, not just African-American characters or whatever. I mean, they were dressed like everybody, right. which, you know, sort of goes to show too. In comic books, we like characters for who they are. We don't care what color or gender. You know, it's it's all great to, uh, to everybody. Right. And they, it, it was great to see that. So I'm I'm hoping it continues in that direction. And, uh, you know, it's a it's it's a good move forward. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's been a real move towards more inclusivity in comics, and yeah. that's good. That's it's being reflected at the cons as well. So that's all. That's that's really awesome. Um. I am not a con person as you know. So part of the, part of the allure of this podcast is that uh, David has a particular point of view about, you know, he likes analog comics. I like digital, you know, he's, he goes to cons and does stuff like that. And uh, it's just, it's the con thing is just uh, not for me. I don't think I've, I've left this room in um, oh, easily about 87 months. I've just been sitting in the, I've been sitting in the train, but I'm not a con person. I think the last con I went to, so this will really date me for anybody who even knows what this is. The last time I went to a con, it was called Dixie trick. And uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. Uh, So I, I, you know, I don't like crowds. So that's a big part of it. Yeah. If you don't like crowds, uh, cons that big are not for you. Um, Right. Because, if I have one thing to complain about, it is the crowds. It's, 
you know, this year was a little better because they had, you know, limited the amount of people that could go, but uh, it, it gets to be too much and it gets to be a hassle. And sometimes all we want to do is just go back up to our room in the Marriott, um, which is one of the main host hotels and, and just do nothing, you know, because it's like, oh, I got to get, I got to, you know, wait forever for the elevator, get in there with, you know, 20 people who are all trying to be funny and crack their jokes that you've heard a thousand times in the elevators there, you know, <laughs> nerd humor is not for me. Um, cause it, it's not funny, but, uh, so anyway, you know, you got to deal with that. So I trust me, I, I feel you, Chris. Um, and I don't, I don't, uh, I would never even consider saying, Chris, you got to go to this convention because I, I know there's no way. Well, <laughs> it's, it's just the crowds are, are rough. It, it's and it's also <clears throat> the other thing. And and I mean, we, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the other thing is that I and this is a weird thing. It's the, the I always feel even though the guests are there and they know what they've gotten themselves into, I just feel weird bothering them. I feel like yeah. I'm bothering them. And it, that's just a very strange sensation. It's like they're <laughs> they're there, they're getting paid, they're making money, but at the same time, I feel like you know uh, it's it, it's it's just always been a very. Uh, I think it's probably a lot better with less established people who yeah. are tr still trying to make a name and get their work out there. When it's somebody that I really uh, think a lot of, it's very hard for me to. Cause I feel like I'm wasting their time. Well, a lot of the comic book artists, sometimes it is difficult to talk to them because they're just as awkward as we are. Mm -hmm. you know, they don't mm -hmm. know how to act or what to say to people either. But when it comes to the celebrities there that are in the TV shows and the movies, what I have noticed is from time to time, they won't have anyone at their table. And that, that doesn't mean they're not famous or popular. It just means for whatever reason at that particular spot during the day, there's not a line for them. So if you make eye contact with them, they might call you over because mm. if they're talking to you, everybody else in there says, Hey, you know, they have people there. They're not just sitting there bored. Yeah. They have fans talking to them. So with the celebrities, it's different. They sort of want you to talk to them with the comic book artists and writers. It depends on the person. So mm -hmm. I, I understand mm -hmm. you completely, but, um, but yeah, it's cons aren't for everybody. Uh, they it's Dragon Con has changed dramatically from uh, two and a half decades that I've been going. You know, it used to be a lot more comic book oriented. Now it's as with any convention, it's all about the cosplay, which to me is not it's not my thing. I think <laughs> it's not, <laughs> you know, but, it, you know, it's like uh, conventions are there for one reason, and it's to make money and support your artists, not to show off yourself. And right. it's great to see people in costumes. Don't get me wrong. But when when it's all that they are there for and they're not there to support mm -hmm. the guests that are there, then to me, there's a problem. And I, I know that uh, Pat Broderick, you know, one of my, uh, you know, I've always liked his his art. Absolutely. Um, I read an interview with him uh, seven or eight years ago, and he was like, I don't go to conventions that are based on cosplay because people aren't spending money or they're not there to to support the artists they're there to promote themselves and so he he has let it be known he is not into that and i, I see his point 100 percent because right. you're just sort of there for the wrong reasons and you know i know we live in a look at me world now but uh to me my favorite thing about the con is going in the dealer room and spending money 
whether I have the money or not. <laughs> and they love you and they love you for it, they David. They do. They really do. <laughs> well, but, and, and, and I think on, yeah, well, yeah. and I think that there's two different um you know, there are some people who are just fans of a character and they're just, you know, they're they they get into cosplay just to sort of celebrate that character. I agree. And that's just that's just a fan thing. Uh yes. that's that's been going on forever. But then there's right. this other like weird like I'm going to get uh, some sort of notoriety or, you know, more hits on Facebook mm -hmm. or Instagram. And that's getting, that's getting very strange and kind of out of control. Yeah. And you know, when they're there just to have their picture taken of themselves, which is I'd say 90% of them. Right. Eh, you know, it's a problem And plus not just that, but uh, cons are very, very crowded and you cannot, you have to keep moving. You can't stop in the middle of a hallway to take a picture. You can't, you can't right. do stuff like that. So every time you take, you stop to take a picture and you have 20 people gather around you all snapping pictures, the line ain't moving. Um, so, you know, that's but, another, but again, you know, yeah. just a gripe. That's yeah. another reason why I don't go is because I know that, you know, so many crowds would form around me. That's true. That's true. They, yeah. Um, to me, not so much because people aren't into lock jaws. But, uh, well, but you, yes, uh, you know, it depends on if we're talking about the actual condition of lockjaw or the dog lockjaw. So, you know, I don't know now, how if I dress like the dog. <laughs> yeah, then I might be that actually might be, be that actually I might actually pay to see that. That would be in inhumane. <laughs> inhuman, never mind. Bad, bad, bad. I and told you. You, you early, said you didn't I like nerd humor. Today. Well, you said you didn't like nerd humor, but hey, yeah. That's why I didn't even, that's why I didn't expect a laugh because nerd <laughs> humor just is not witty. And and what I just said wasn't witty. But anyway, well, carry on. Chris. I did issue David a challenge to, to walk up to random people <laughs> and ask them if they had heard of Waha Hotcast, knowing full well that they would all say no. And I wanted him to record just a, just a string of them. And uh, he, t he, he, he declined. And I've really never known David to decline a dare. I'll tell you what sort of did it. There were, here, here's one of the things I, one of the 10,000 things I despise about the current world is the, <laughs> the YouTubers. Um, so they're walking around cons and they're filming themselves. It's, Hey, I'm in the middle, you know? Oh yeah. I've been, I've been at Dragon Con watching Voltaire. Who's one of my favorite artists there, uh, you know, perf music performers there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, in the middle of his show and he's acoustic. So you, you can't be talking during a show. And in the middle of the show, there'll be people like I'm here watching Voltaire, you know, no one good and well don't even know who Voltaire is and, and filming <laughs> it. And I just want to kill him. So, Having said that, there were actually some signs up saying, don't do that. Um, and so I was thinking, well, if I, again, Dragon Con is so crowded, you can't stop walking. So I was like, well, if I stop and start asking people questions, and technically I could have done it. I could have done it in the food court or something where there's thousands of people. But I don't know. It just, it, it sort of threw me <laughs> off because I'm like, am I going to be getting in people's way? And then I, do I, I really want to talk to it. these people? I get it. Yeah, and and basically it's just screw you, Chris. I'm not going to do a dare. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, I'll let you down. That was my fault. I'll I'll do better next year. I'm just coming up with lame excuses. But uh, I was just really looking forward to just hearing the just the dead silence. <laughs> I'll do it next year. I will. I will. Um, there's also uh, whenever my friend Brad uh, goes with us, he was unable to go this year, unfortunately. But uh, we also have had for years this thing where 
when there's someone in front of you walking, looking at their phone and, you know, walking really slow because of it. Right. Whoever walks up to them and slaps the cell phone out of their hand, the other person will buy them a Silver Age comic book. <laughs> we have yet to do that. Of course. Although yeah. I did pull the tail off of uh, a cosplay lady one time. Um, <laughs> I tried to. I tried to. I tugged on it, and then my hand slipped, and this, I couldn't. I couldn't go back. I don't know. This all sounds like something that you could get arrested for. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you know, but if I had that, if I had that mentality <laughs> all my life, I would have never done anything. <laughs> so, all right. So, what what are you reading, or what have you been? Reading? Um, I've read a lot since the last uh, cast, but the main thing that sticks in my mind was the new uh, Kazar omnibus that reprinted the Bruce Jones, Brent Anderson series from the early eighties. Those are awesome. Um, they were awesome. They were awesome. And uh, I mean, the whole series was good. Even at the, at the last few issues that Mike Carlin wrote and Paul Neary drew um, Mike Carlin, eh, you know, but right. Right. Paul Neary, I've always liked his art. I'll, I will admit wasn't that great in there. It, it, I guess that was earlier in his career than before he got on Captain America, but Still, they were still fun and uh, not the quality of the Bruce Jones, Brent Anderson, but, um, you know, the whole thing was good. It had the entire series in there. So very, I've, very never, I've never been a huge Brent Anderson uh, fan, but I uh-huh. love I love his art in those issues. Yeah, it looks like he went to the, you know, Neil Adams school, you yeah. know, um, yeah. and so you could see that Neil Adams influence in there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he knew he knew how to draw. The Savage Land and and Kazar and a beautiful Shanna, which you know I'm sure helped sell the series. So absolutely, yeah, um, great great series. I thought, yeah. What about you? Uh, two things. One, uh, one I'm still in the middle of reading. The other one I hated with every ounce of my being, and that <laughs> is the Swamp Thing New Roots collection yeah. uh, that was written by predominantly Mark Russell, who, by the way. I actually like as a writer, he has some, he's done some interesting things. Second Um, coming. Yeah. But, um, but this was not, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think you and I talked about it offline and you had said that this was a, uh, a series that was written and marketed in Walmart originally. Was that correct? Sort sort of. Yeah. I I can. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, um, and it really, um, Hmm. It was like they wanted to go back to the issues that were right before Alan Moore took over yeah. Swamp Thing, uh, where the Sunderland Corporation is still kind of the big baddie, and uh, the but there was just but there was still a little bit of the the mysticism. It was very convoluted and confused, and I didn't feel like there was a lot of uh, connection to the character that was very meaningful. Uh, and then they gave him some sort of, uh, <laughs> beat for a heart, uh, some sort, <laughs> some sort of like tuber that was a, a, that was a heart inside him. And I was just like, this is all just, just, going wrong in so many different ways, <laughs> but I kept reading. I was like, maybe this will get better. And i you know, it never did. I just, I just absolutely despised it. Mark Russell, you know, I like his independent, like I said, second coming is, is a good book. I, I enjoy it. Um, but when he writes 
like when he was writing these Swamp Thing stories, he threw he has this sort of sense of humor that he throws into the characters that sort of don't fit their personality. Right. They make comments and stuff, and it's I don't really like that. I, I don't know how to explain it. But um, the only thing I can say is that he seems to want to do. Uh, some kind of social satire inside yeah, of everything yeah. that he's doing. And yeah. I, I, in some things that he does, that works really well. Like Sw- second coming. Yes. Swamp thing. It doesn't work. No, no. Um, yeah. To, to clarify about the whole Walmart thing, uh, there were two trade paperbacks that came out within the past year or so, whatever. Uh, one of them I read today, actually before this podcast, uh, the one I read today featured some, uh, a Swamp Thing winter special by Tom King. And uh, yes, I remember that. Uh, was it Janet? I can't remember. I, and I, I cannot believe I forgot the artist's name because he was wonderful. Um, if you haven't read it, Chris, oh, my God, please really good. read it. Oh, OK. It is okay. incredible. Um, and Swamp Thing looks great. The writing's great. Um, and it has some other stuff from like uh, D.C., like, uh, you know, Valentine's Day specials or horror specials that feature Swamp Thing. Uh, then it went into the Walmart issues, and these were written by Tim Seeley. Um, some of them drawn by Mike Perkins, some by Aaron Lepresti, I think. It mm-hmm. all looked good. Um, Steve Pugh, I think, also. Hmm. Um, then what you read and what I read right after you read it, because lo and behold, I had the trade paperback, because if it's Swamp Thing, I'm buying it, regardless of whether I have the issues or not. Right. Um, yeah, those were the ones that... I don't think they were no longer the Walmart giants. They that's when uh, comic book stores started getting them instead of Walmart, and so it was still the Swamp Thing giant. Um, okay, okay, still the same thing, just no longer at Walmart, but in comic stores. And that's when Mark Russell was writing them, and they were really bad. So, so here's the thing: I don't like they've so convoluted things um, where you know it was, it had been really well established that Swamp Thing was no longer a man that, you know, that that was just a, it was a creature that had thought he was a man for a long, but then they started messing with it again. And so now I've got no idea. I mean, is, is he Alec Holland? Is he, I mean, I have no earthly idea when it, in, the, in any of, if, go ahead. No, you no in you're right. In the new 52, that's where they really started messing everything up. Yeah. He was, he was, I mean, when Swamp Thing was first created, he was Alec Holland, whose body had transformed into this muck monster. Then Alan Moore did it better, I think, and said, no, he's he's actually a plant that thinks he's human. He's not right. a human that thinks he's right. a uh, Then 52 was like, no, he's he's a human. Um, so I don't I don't know. I mean, and of course, now that everything counts in D.C., I don't, I don't know what they're sort of <laughs> <laughs> sticking with. Um but if it's Swamp Thing, even if it's bad Swamp Thing, even if it's Mark Russell Swamp Thing, I still have fun reading it because he's my favorite DC character. And I think there's some characters that are, you know, just because he's a muck monster and he's in the swamp and all that, it's just visually fun to look at and enjoy, even if it's bad. And and there haven't been many bad issues of Swamp Thing necessarily, but those, those were, I'll admit. Well, you know, for what it's worth, it, I wanted to read it too. So, I mean, obviously that appeal is with me as well. Like I'll read it anyway. So the other book that I'm reading uh, and I'm going to lose some geek cred when I, uh, when I say this, so just hang on tight. Uh, I'm reading volume one of Dune that has been adapted by Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. Um, 
and the art is by Raul Allen. Allen, it's Allen with a uh, a, like a um, accent on en. So I don't know if that's Allen or I don't know. I I need you to get this right before we move on, Chris. Allen. 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 All right. So, um, so here's where I'm going to lose some geek cred. I've never read Dune. Um, so I don't, the only reference point I have, unfortunately, is the David Lynch movie in the eighties. And, uh, so I, I kind of wanted to, now that they're about to launch a new film series, uh, I kind of wanted to go back and see, and particularly since, since, you know, the Herbert family is still involved in this, I kind of wanted to see what they did with the comic. The comic so far is, 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 you know, it's pretty good. The, the art is not blowing me away by any stretch, but the, um, Bill Sienkiewicz cover is fantastic. Is this the, from, uh, adapting the first Dune book or is this adapting like house, Atreides? Or, no, or- this is adapting the first Dune book. I think it's going to be four volumes. They're actually trying to be, they're, they're working really hard to be faithful to the original book, the original text, and not get, you know, not try to design characters based on what they look like in different film versions or anything right. like that. It's like start from the ground up, use the descriptions in the book, and, you know, build this thing the way, you know, they think Frank Herbert intended. Yeah, I have the hardback of that. I have not read it yet, um, but I am currently reading the the new series. I think it is House of Treaties, which is, I think, based from the uh, books written by uh, his brother and Kevin Anderson. OK, um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, it's just one that I think that. uh was kind of out of the blue. I saw it and I was like, oh, I should probably give this a shot and see if I like it. And you know, I, I do in, enjoy it. I I've never, I've just never particularly gotten into Dune for whatever reason. Now, I read the first book many years ago and I always tell myself I want to read more. Um, I have read a couple of the books by, you know, his brother and Kevin J Anderson or whatever, you know, yeah, son, yeah. brother, I don't know. I forgot, but uh, I've read a couple of those that, Eh, you know, but it may just be because I I don't understand them because my dumb self has not read the other five or so books in the original series. I don't know, hmm. but uh, who knows? Well, so that's where we are with in terms of what we're reading. So the actual t- <laughs> so now that we're <laughs> almost halfway through the episode, we'll finally get to uh, the the meat of the episode. And uh, the idea I had for this topic was. Uh, in some ways inspired by all of the talk that's going around now about uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, since, Particularly since the Loki series hit uh, and opened up the multiverse in, in Marvel Cinematic World, uh, it's gotten everybody talking about alternate timelines. And so I thought this would be a great time for us to take a look at uh, either books or storylines that we thought were the best alternate timeline stories. Uh, There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. Comic books have, what I find so funny is for everybody to be talking about the the multiverse, quote unquote, as if it's something new really makes me laugh because I mean, in comic books, that's just the bread and butter of so many comic book stories um, going way before uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, way before that. DC has been doing that for ages. So with that in mind, David, uh, what's your first pick? 
All right. Well, uh, first, let me say uh, that I think alternate timeline, alternate future, alternate reality stories, I think they're probably more fun for the creative team to do than for us to read. Mm. Um, reason, and I enjoy them. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think the reason I said that is because if it's not the real Marvel Universe Spider-Man, then I just don't care. You know, yeah. if he dies, what do I care? That's not the real one. And it, and I sort of feel that same way about the movies, too. Well, the, those aren't the real characters. So if somebody dies, I don't care. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I like I like real continuity here. But uh, so my first one uh, is House of M. Oh, yeah. I forgot Bendis. about that. And um, I'm going to. There's no way I can pronounce this name. I've never been able to pronounce it. Is it, it. Coipel? I don't yes. know. How, what was right. his first name? Olivier? Olivier, I think. Okay. Yeah, great. You know, great artist, uh, good good writer. Um, so the creative team was good. Um, basically, what happened was uh, Scarlet Witch, if I remember correctly, I, I was not rereading this because you'll, I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember correctly, Scarlet Witch went a little crazy and sort of created this alternate universe, uh, which in turn led Marvel to putting out a bunch of, you know, mini series of different characters in this universe. Peter Parker was bald. I don't know why. And I don't care, but I don't, and, and nothing against people that are bald, people, bald people <laughs> are people it, too. It, they are people too. No, it's in, you know, girls like bald heads these days. So I'm not insulting People who have shaved their head or lost their hair, but oh, it didn't Lord. look right on Peter Parker. And I, I, I don't know why he had a shaved head. Um, I thought House of M was absolutely terrible. You had a, a good creative team on there um, and it had one purpose, which I'll get into in a minute. But you had to wade through eight issues of these, these alternate worlds that had nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the whole purpose of the miniseries. Uh, eight issue miniseries, I believe. Um, one panel, I liked one panel in the entire thing. <laughs> so before this, just to backtrack, I know we we uh, were already half through with the episode and we haven't even started yet, but just to quickly backtrack, um, Marvel Universe had gotten, had way too many mutants at this time. Grant Morrison's fantastic run on the X-Men, unfortunately introduced tons of mutants and there's a whole academy of them now. And, you know, there's... Right. Thousands, right. if not millions, in the Marvel Universe, which, okay, um, X-Men are no longer unique. So why do I care about them? I don't, right. you know. Right. So way too many mutants. And Marvel realized that, too. So in one panel, Scarlet Witch said, no more mutants. Bam. All but 100 disappeared. Why the why the, the 100 that remain <laughs> mutants stayed? It was never explained. It was lame. But... Thank you, thank you, thank you, Marvel, for doing that at the time because it it was much needed. All of a sudden, mutants are unique again, and all these lame characters aren't being created just to throw in there. It's it's you know they're focusing on characters that we should actually care about. So right, of course, that's all been changed since then, and now there are millions of mutants and they're living on the moon. And I'm not gonna we're, we're gonna go into that on a later episode. <laughs> A that sounds like the beginning episode. of a like a ballad. There's a million mutants living <laughs> on the moon. Now I need to hear the rest of the song, Chris. Yeah, so I'll you can YouTube him. it for me, just like in the okay. uh, you know uh, whatever the guy's name was that was being YouTubed at yes. DragonCon. Yes, yes, I will, I will. Um, so anyway, House of M, although awful, 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 it did accomplish 
something that I absolutely loved, and that was getting rid of all the mutants, at least for a few years in the Marvel Universe. All right. Uh, what about you? All right. My first pick is actually an alternate timeline that I really like, but I'm not as crazy about the comic book as I am about uh, where it, the comic book originally came from, and that is Batman Beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, I thought when they initial Batman Beyond – much like Harley Quinn, you know, uh, came out of the uh, Paul Denny and, um, oh gosh, Bruce Tim, uh, Batman animated series. That was their next series. I thought this was the hokiest thing, the worst idea. Uh, we don't need to turn Batman into a Spider-Man knockoff. But as it turns out, it was phenomenal. And uh, the, the greatest thing on earth is having an old decrepit Bruce Wayne walking around telling everybody what they've done wrong. That's like, mm -hmm. the, that, that's just, that's the greatest thing ever. So that alternate future uh, in Batman beyond is one I really like. Uh, they've tried a few comics. One of them, they handed to Dan Jurgens. <laughs> we'll just leave, we'll just leave it there. I'm like, why, why? But at the same time, I kind of get what you're saying. Like, why do I want to read this? Because none of this is part of continuity though. Now with DC, it is. That's right. It is. Yeah. I, I read the comic book here and there, the Dan Jurgens ones. And, you know, I, I, I read it and then I stopped buying it for anyone. It's like it, it just wasn't, you know, for anyone who has never uh, either watched or read anything about Batman Beyond, all you have to do is watch. There's one movie that's called uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, and it is truly one of the best Batman movies I have seen. Maybe the best. Oh, yeah? I, I think it, I have it in a collection. I need to, I need to sit down and watch it. It is uh, very dark. <laughs> it's very, very dark. Um, and really one of the best just straight up Batman stories, considering the fact that, you know, Bruce Wayne's an old man, that that whole dynamic makes the whole thing work. And uh, you you just you really need to you really need to see it if you have it. Cool. Yeah, I will add that to my list. All right. What's next? Uh, sort of an obvious one. Um, what if? Absolutely. Yeah, um, it it was a series that started in 1977. Um, it, it was, it, it, it's not, I mean, this type of story had been done before maybe with like uh silver age DC comics and stuff, but it was pretty much still a new idea. Um, it pretty much took, uh, iconic moments in Marvel history and said, well, what if this happened instead of this? And it, it was almost like the main goal was to say, okay, well, you think this went wrong in the regular story, just wait till you read from an alternate world, what happened, it, it's even worse. So be thankful <laughs> the way it happened, happened. Right. You know, um, there's what if, you know, Spider-Man joined Fantastic Four and what if Rick Jones became the Hulk, which later, you know, became a reality. Uh, what if the Avengers had never been, that was, I think, number three. Um, it was just a really, really cool series. I had different creative teams, every issue. Um, really good um unfortunately though uh after as time went on i don't know it was almost like well every issue is ending up the same you know these these iconic heroes are dying um <laughs> right. or you know things are going wrong so it, it's sort of 
you weren't, even though each story was different, you weren't getting a lot of variety in how they all turned out. And so even though it was a great idea at the beginning, I think it ran its course in the first series and eventually got canceled. Uh, then started back in the nineties. And by then the creative teams were awful. The stories were awful. It was just, they were, it was lazy. I think they ran out of iconic stories to do. So, you know, in all honesty, why do I care if on this world Reed Richards is Dr. Doom and Dr. Doom is the leader of the Fantastic Four? I don't care. Right. You know, that's not original um, as much as a creative team may think. It was It was just the second series was uh, lazy writing and, and not just Patrick Rothfuss lazy, but George R. R. Martin lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let that one lie there. Um <laughs> Well, so the, yeah, the interesting thing is in the original series, some of it just got just purely silly. I mean, there's a there's yeah. a there's an entire issue that is, what if the Fantastic Four was the original Marvel bullpen? Yeah, <laughs> I remember and that. Stan Lee is Mister Fantastic, and Jack Kirby is the Thing, and it's just really strange and like. I, I never I owned that issue as a kid. Why did I buy that? I have no idea. I didn't know who the other two were. <laughs> I mean, I knew who Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were, right. but I had no idea who, I don't know. I, I can't even remember who the human torch was. Saul Brodsky or something like that. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> that might actually be right. It might be. Um, there was also, what if Sergeant Fury fought World War II in outer space? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> What does that what yeah, does that mean? There, there's a there's a whole lot packed into that one question. <laughs> Yuri Friedrich <laughs> uh and Dan Don Glut uh, wrote it and Herb Trippy penciled it. But I don't I think I I think I had that back then. I, it, it's not one that stuck out with me, maybe because again, what in the world? Why are they fighting World War II in outer space? I, I mean, I guess I guess we should read it. I I recently got the what if omnibus volume one and it's in there. So at some point soon, I'll probably, you know, be able to tell the world what happened in that issue. Yeah, I, th I think it has run its course. Of course, you know, now uh, Marvel Studios has come out with their own What If series. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I found it to be kind of, well, it's the same kind of thing. It's like, well, this is interesting, but none of this really matters. Yeah. So, um, so my next choice is also another uh, Marvel book, and it is Old Man Logan. Yeah. Uh, and and I think they've beaten that idea to death yes. at this point. But when it came along, uh, Mark Miller, who I, I have a love-hate relationship with mm -hmm. a lot of what he's created, I thought this was one of the better things he's done. Um, it was a, a future Marvel Universe where obviously Logan is an old man and uh, it was sort of tracing what has happened uh, to all of the characters that um, most of whom are dead, uh, which is always the way that these kinds of stories go. It's like, there's like only like maybe five major characters left. Uh, it's always post-apocalyptic. Um, probably the most interesting thing about old man Logan is the treatment of Hawkeye to my to my recollection, it was the first time I thought of Hawkeye as being kind of a cool character. Um, in this, he's blind, uh, which obviously adds a little bit to the, to the idea of the character. So that's one that um, the original arc 
there's been a how they did this, I don't know, but there was a monthly ongoing book. I have not read any of those. I have no real interest in that. But the original story, Old Man Logan by, um, I think Steve McNiven did the art and uh, Mark Miller wrote it. You know, I, I read everything and I've not read that yet. So I need to check that out. That's worth reading. You'll like it, if nothing else, for uh, there's some uh, there's some Hulk references in there that I think you'll like. Oh, cool. Cool. All right. My next one uh, is a book that came out uh, within the past couple of decades called Exiles. It was a mutant hmm. book um, written by Jed Winnick, drawn by Mike McCone. I remember that. I'd forgotten <clears throat> about that. Yeah, it was basically, let's take some... Uh, mutant characters and they weren't all necessarily from the real Marvel world. You know, they were maybe from alternate realities, but it featured blink who had appeared in the X-Men before. Um, and it was basically the what if book, but with a super team going to these different realities and trying to solve the problem there. So, um, you know, Oh, you and I've mentioned before, we're not big fans of Judd Winnick, but this was surprisingly mm -hmm. uh, a fun book. Um, Featured uh, an array of characters, uh, you know, there was Blink, uh, Nocturne, which was sort of a female Nightcrawler, Morph, which was, he could just sort of morph into different, he was sort of like the comedy relief of the book. Uh, right. Thunderbird, Mimic, and Magnus. Um, the book lasted, I don't know, maybe maybe three years or so, and then they canceled it, and then almost immediately it seemed like they started another one that I don't think I bought. Um, there was a recent exiles series that came out three or four years ago that I thought was, uh, beyond boring. Hmm. Um, blink. They, uh, I don't know. They, I don't know. They, they, they completely changed the way they look. And hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what, I mean, she's what? pink. So I, I'm not even sure what she's supposed to, I don't know if she has white parents, African-American parents. I don't know. There were but 182 it, different versions of them. That's as true. I recall. That's true. Right. So, but they, they had just sort of, changed her features for no reason other than mm -hmm. I think a political correctness. It was just weird. I, it's not that I cared, but it was just weird. I, yeah, but that's I think a the writing strange. was, yeah, but I thought the writing was uh, boring at the time and I just, I couldn't get into it, but the original series was fun. As I recall, that was, there was a similar premise at some point in Excalibur. Oh yeah. Yeah, there was. Yeah. You know, so, so it was similar to that, but I, I remember reading those first few arcs of exiles and liking it. Oh, so, so you did read them. I yeah, did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm going to, I had four. I'm going to ditch one of them because I, I, as I'm looking at it, I'm like, mm, I don't think I'm going to mention that one. So I'm going to, this will be my last one. And this okay. is uh, Marvel 1602. Yeah. Uh, this is Neil Gaiman's uh, take on the Marvel Universe <clears throat> in the year 1602, which sounds sort of ridiculous, but then you have a certain amount of faith because it's Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. um, he handles it really well. Uh, there is a reason why it's in 1602 that sort of plays out over the course of the series. The art by, is that Andy Kubert? I can't remember who did the art. I know the first name starts with an A. Thank you so much. Yes. Very helpful. It's one of the Kubert brothers and it's uh, and, Andy uh, or Adam, one of the two. And uh, the series is clever. 
Uh, and it does actually explain why all of this is happening in 1602. So, you know, it's not like just an arbitrary, oh, we're going to jump to 1602 and just put the Marvel Universe there. Uh, as usual, and this is the case with a lot of these things, whether it's Old Man Logan or it's um, uh, Exiles, they, you know, they beat it to death. They have all these other series, 1602 series that are really uh, subpar. And uh, so if you want to read a, a pretty good alternate timeline story, I would say Marvel 1602 would be a good bet. Yes, very good. Uh, and it's Andy Kubert. Okay. And the covers are spectacular. Yes. Yes. Outstanding. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that series too when it came out. And like you said, they put out like other mini series after that that just didn't didn't hold up uh, to the original. So do you, are we on your final pick? Is this your final yes. one? Okay. Yes. Um, probably to me, the only alternate future or reality story that has ever really mattered in my opinion, uh, days of future past, uh, X-Men, right. Claremont, Byrne, Austin. Um, and this was, even though again, it had all, you know, it wasn't the first time this had ever happened. It still showed a, uh, sort of a near future of the uh, Marvel universe where mutants are just, I mean, persecuted and, and killed and everything. And, uh, you know, Rachel Summers was in there, um, made her first appearance, I believe, and uh, then traveled back to our time. But it was it was very bleak, uh, but just brilliant. It, to me, it's it, it's the only time I've ever cared about characters in a a possible future type story that could be an alternate reality, you know, just depends on if it ever happens or not. And they normally do not, but uh fantastic had repercussions in the mutant universe for years to come. All right. So those are our picks for uh top alternate timeline stories. I don't know if David would consider uh, house of M to be a top story, but it certainly <laughs> accomplished something uh, in the Marvel universe that was much needed. So, uh, I think it was a pretty good list. We came up with yeah. some with some pretty good stuff. Now to close things out, I have a game. Are you ready? Yes. I'm so no. I'm yes. so proud of this game. This game is called Boots, Shoes, Booties, or Feet. <laughs> well, can you say that five times fast? Uh, no. Can you I try? Can, I can say <laughs> just just try. Boots, shoes, booties, or feet. Okay, wow, that was which actually was. has a nice beat to it, and you you know you can dance to it. Shoes, booties, feet. Yeah, it could be a craftwork song. Um, all right, so with with that in mind, I'm going to name the character. You tell me if they wear boots, shoes, booties, or feet. If they have bare feet. <laughs> this 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 is right up there with the underwear. Absolutely. I if think not I, better, if not better. No, I wouldn't know the underwear. I mean, it really, it, it, I would say the underwear takes the cake, but that just, that's a Ew. mixed, that's a mixed metaphor. Yeah. All right. So, uh, with that in mind, let's start with some, uh, well, let's start with some that I think are easy. Okay. Namor. Uh, feet. Bare feet. Correct. With wings at that. Yes. Correct. Um, Thor. Boots. Yes. And, strange boots like yeah are, i've always wondered this are those like is are his legs wrapped with fabric or are those are those armor boots i don't know I, i'm I'm just wondering why barbarians dressing all fancy like that anyway but that's a whole other 
I mean, that's weird that oh, I'm going to put on a costume. You're a barbarian. Just wear a, wear a thong. Not a thong. <laughs> Not a thong. Uh, you know what I mean. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Thor's thong. Thor's thong. All right. Thong gore. <laughs> a monster that he that somebody fought. Anyway, All right. So so we've gotten Namor down. We've gotten Thor down. We're going to go to uh, Ben Grimm, the thing. Well, normally he has worn boots before, but normally feet. Yes, and he wore a helmet for a while, and I never understood that. His face was jacked up, I think. I don't, I don't care. He's the thing. <laughs> His face was jacked up when he became the thing, right? <laughs> that is true. Very good point. Very I mean, good point. So he's going to, no, I got to put on a helmet to cover my face. <laughs> I mean, I just like, that's just really strange. So, maybe um, the Yancey Street Gang talked him into it. Maybe they did. Uh, Robin. Uh, uh, booties. <laughs> Robin's booties. <laughs> he wore booty shorts too. But Do you know, I could not find another character who wore booties. And thank God for that. And, you know, it, but that's pretty, that's pretty, that's, that's saying something. It is. So. I'm not sure what. Can you think of any other character? I mean, not like comic book wise. I mean, Peter Pan wore them, but um, yeah, yeah, but not not a comic book no. s- superhero. I I don't think I think the rest of the characters were like I, I'm not dressing that way. All right, here's the next one: the original Blue Devil. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say boots. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Later, th- there's been a million different versions. All of them are terrible compared to the original Paris Cullen's des- design of Blue Devil. I agree. All right. Uh, we're, I'm, tr- I'm trying to ramp this up a little bit. So, um, Shang-Chi. I guess Feet. It That's depends right. on which version, but I would go with the the classic master of kung kung fu kung fu. Kung kung. fu. That's <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. The, or- <laughs> the original master of kung fu Shang Chi from the 70s, bare feet, bare feet. One of the best series I've ever read. Yes, um, bare feet. All right, I got I got one that I think is pretty challenging. Okay, Mantis. Feet. Very good. That is correct. And then a final one that you got to think about. Dazzler. Well, she wore skates. You got it. (laughs) All right. Which I guess are technically boots. Yeah, I guess so. They're wheeled boots. (laughs) Dazzler was... After the first couple of issues, man, it became such an awful series, but I loved it regardless. I'm not sure why. Did Jim Shooter write that? Who wrote it? I know. I think Danny Fingeroth and uh, no Vince Vince Coletta inked it, which, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, the first couple of issues were different creative team, but uh, yeah, once it got going, it was it was awful. But I, I still love them. I don't know why. You know, they probably could bring that character back in the Instagram culture that we have. Yeah. It might actually be possible to relaunch that character. 
I think she had a special maybe a year or two ago, but yeah, I mean, with all the stuff they're putting out now, that would fit right in. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. All right. So that concludes boots, shoes, booties, and feet. <laughs> and about Dave, Howard the duck and David was a hundred percent. Well, that's his feet. What kind of feet? Webbed feet. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs> Do you, I mean, can you think of any other uh, ridiculous footwear to, uh, those are the only kinds of footwear I could think of boots, shoes, booties, and feet. What about, uh, Marvel's Conan, the barbarian boots. Yeah. Yeah. What about a uh, one more? What about, um, uh, Irving Forbush? <laughs> uh, shoes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I you know, no and you know, actually, I did research to try to find characters who wear shoes, <laughs> and all it brought up was like a bunch of tennis shoes that ha that you can buy that have Marvel or DC characters <laughs> on them. That's what they should wear. That's what they should. Well, okay, I got one for you, and then I'll I'll you know you can you can wrap it all up. But uh, Silver Surfer. That's bare feet, but he's covered in. Silver, so I don't really know. That's like a bodysuit, but I don't he even know. He doesn't have any toes. He doesn't have or, any or anything. You know, he doesn't that, have ears. That ain't all he doesn't have. <laughs> Shalabong! <laughs> Bonita! <laughs> yeah, what, well, all right, what about the armadillo? <laughs> I think he's bare feet. Yes. Toenails and all. Yeah. All right. Well, that concludes this wonderful game that I, you know, came that up was, with. Uh, I, that was a great one. I'll, I'll give you that one. That boot, shoes, booties, or feet. <laughs> Possibly the greatest comic trivia game ever. Well, we're going to have to publish it. I don't know how we can top that or the underwear, but we're going to. We're going to figure it out. I don't want to top your underwear. I really don't. <laughs> I don't want to top your booty. <laughs> oh, so, so there you go. All right. On that note. <laughs> on that note. We will uh, we will say a fond farewell. Special thanks to, uh, we can say a lot of things. If you want to get, first of all, before we even get into that, if you want to get in touch with us, best way to do that is cast at gmail.com. That's B-W-A-H-A-H-A-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. You can also look up cast on Twitter. Uh, that's our Twitter username there you can look us up and uh, follow us there there's all kinds of oddities that are shared at that point also want to thank uh, Tom Kirby who uh, got us all started on this was sort of the originator of this idea and also designed all of our logos so thanks to him and uh, thanks as well to as always Bungie's Comics yes Griffin Georgia great comic book store they don't pay us a dime to to say that, but uh, I'm going to make it up there eventually because I, you know, I do have to leave this room at some point, and uh, I'm going to make yeah, it up yeah. there. And I want to, I want to uh, see what see what all the buzz is about. Well, make make it up there soon because the owner Bill and I and my brother Mike have all agreed to have one body and three heads. <laughs> at some point, um, Mike's going to be in the middle, but. Uh, so you might want to get up there before then, just so you know, uh, just, just a warning. 
It's good to know. All right. That's it for this episode. This is episode 22, if you can believe it. So see you, David. See you, Chris. Whoever walks up to him and slaps the cell phone out of their hand, the other person will buy them a Silver Age comic book.